Welcome to the Raindrop Corner Podcast, a chill place where creatives in real life superheroes converge to chat it up about cool things. I'm your host, Kay, and without further ado, here's an ode to our guest. I saw the unshakable bard, and he was love. He was the bursting of the sun in wait for the moon to rise, the effervescent swirl of a twister that spun the world adrift. In this grand ethos of evermore, he lay, magic spilled from his feet, deconstructed and reconstructed into stories. Oh, I saw the unshakable bard, and he was love. He was the soft hum of angel-kissed wings, but as dark as caverns of old, liquefied into the bloodstream of a utilating figure and ground too, whisked across oceans upon oceans, buried upon the holiest of sand. Stories. They pilfered and pillaged, twisting narratives into gripping things. No, tendrils of bewitching paradigm. But among the harrowing horrors of the prettiest tales lie magnificence. You see, I saw the unshakable bard, and he was love, dancing upon lakes of fire, spurring on the greatest of all melodies. He unearthed shards of the human condition, fractals of eternity, distilled into a soft smile, denoted by kind but assessing brown eyes, stories, little moments that waded in bloodstreams, permeated memories, seeping into chasms that looked like bookstores, paintings left unfinished, transmuted upon comics, graphic novels, soft readings of lines on stages and sometimes in bedrooms, looking at oneself in the mirror. And there he goes. There he lives, the unshakable bard, weaving narratives with a soft smile, coupled with an even faster challenge to the real question. What question? Well, dear listener, I beg of you, take in the answer. The answer to whatever question it might be is just that of stories. Through those, through stories, we saw, we felt, and we're finding the answer. Because here lies an unshakable bard, and he is love. Today with me, I have Andres de Bravo with me, who is just an extraordinaire of all the cool artistic things. So you are a performer, you are a motivator, you are a writer, you are an illustrator, a creator. You've done a million different things from creating your own graphic novels to even voice acting as well. So what is your favorite artistic thing that you've learned so far? Ooh, going, going straight to the hard ones. Straight to the hard like, ones. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to choose favorites because that's like saying like, oh, my oldest child is my favorite. Yeah, like, that's fair. I don't want them to feel left out. Mm-hmm. But I think the through line through every art medium that actually makes it work is storytelling. Mm-hmm. If I had to narrow it down, writing is the most direct way of telling a story. And I think just that aspect of any kind of medium, that's what I'm really striving for in whatever I do. 
with stories, the best ones are the ones that make us think they're introspective and they probably provide a little bit of a different narrative. And I also do want to focus in on the work that you do with the Phase 8 Theater, where you cultivate cool stories and tell very visceral narratives. And you recently co-wrote a new piece for them. Can you tell me a little bit about that piece and what makes it unique? The piece that I co-wrote this year was The Food of Love. It was originally a dinner theater queer gourmand uh, romantic comedy mm-hmm. that had a lot of success and has a pretty good following. The main character who is playing our protagonist, Alex, mm-hmm. in the previous versions was a lesbian and she was romancing a lady, but there was also a love triangle with another guy. Mm-hmm. So the actor who was playing Alex moved to a different location and wouldn't be able to do the show again. Mm-hmm. So the writer of the original The Food of Love was already working with me on another project. We loved writing together. We loved performing together. And she had this idea of like, hey, how about, why don't we have you as the main character, but instead of Alex being a lesbian, why can't he just be a trans man and just make the edits to fit that story in? And I thought, yeah, that would be pretty amazing. I haven't seen that before. Mm-hmm. And it would raise the stakes, it would add some intrigue, and, and it would just be so fun to write. No, and it is rare. I think, so I kind of looked it up a little bit and kind of keyed in on some of the driving passions of it and some of the key themes in the story. And something that you touch on is the fact that it's very rare to find stories about trans men not only with a happy ending but also like depicted in a way that is very true to the fact that we are humans first but also that is a core part of you it's an important part of you and it's nice to show people that hey even though sometimes there are there are obstacles or struggles that come along with being your true self you can have a happy life and you can do the things that you love to do so As you wrote this story, what was it specifically that you were trying to convey to the audience? Good question. I think what was kind of like my North Star with creating Alex was he was a person first. He was a human first. Mm -hmm. He was someone who was a perfectionist. He had insecurities, but he also had a lot of skill and he had a lot of heart. And he's very determined, very driven. I wanted him to be seen as a character, but also being accurately and empathetically depicted as a trans man. Mm-hmm. Because, as you mentioned before, it's very rare to see. No one's really seen that. And this was kind of one of the perfect situations where it's not a, oh, tragically trans story. It's not, oh, this is about his transition story. It is actually plot relevant to mention that he's trans because he has a romantic interest. We knew him when he was younger and a romantic interest that has now come back into his life, the same girl. Mm-hmm. But he's changed a lot over the years and explaining that and the anxiety about, oh, is she even going to accept me? Mm -hmm. That is such a big driving force of the story. So it's relevant and it's also relatable. Like everyone's scared of their childhood crush who is just seen as perfect and wonderful in their eyes and you're afraid that you just won't ever live up to it. Do you think that if you happen to come into contact with one of your childhood crushes that they would accept you for you? Was that the vein in which you were writing the story almost? Hmm. I actually didn't really think about any previous crushes Mm -hmm. because there isn't really anyone in my past who I was like oh I wish that they accepted me Mm -hmm. there's like a few situations where it was close to that and at the time I probably would have tapped into that 
but what I was tapping into is what's going on in my life today. Mm-hmm. Any kind of situations where I feel like I'm so insecure about whether oh my battery is going to run out on my phone. Just so <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that. Okay. <laughs> like there's situations in my life where I'm anxious about whether I'm going to be accepted and whether I have to compromise who I am for that acceptance. And I like how you were able to integrate your current, your your growth and your understanding of yourself into a piece that represents someone holistically. What they've gone through, but also combined with them doing what they love and what they're passionate about and being surrounded by people that they are genuinely interested in. What would you say is one of the biggest triumphs of the food of love? It is a good story first. Mm -hmm. And incidentally, we also have a trans character. That to me is, it's so much easier than people think. You don't have to have some sort of social commentary to have a trans character. Sometimes it just happens just because of the plot, because you're going into their backstory or something. But the biggest triumph for me is it's a great story first. It's not tragic. It's not falling into some terrible tropes. It's an actual positive representation of someone, and it's an example to people who are trans or people who know trans people that, oh, you aren't doomed to be miserable because you're trans. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that maybe even parents or siblings or loved ones who know a trans person, if someone's coming out to them for the first time and they don't know what to expect, the only kind of media representations they have of trans people is, oh, they're unhappy, they're tragic, people hurt them they're going to be in a world of pain because of this. And this is one example of, no, that's actually not always the case. There's actually a chance of being happy and trans. It's not mutually exclusive. And it puts that idea out into the atmosphere, into the world, that, okay, a trans person can be happy, they can be wanted, and they are absolutely worthy of being loved because they're still a human being. That, to me, is what I love the most about the story. That's a wildly important message because I remember I facilitated a parents group once of parents of trans youth. And one of the biggest consensus that I heard during the meeting, and it was a meeting of about 45 parents, it was a lot of parents there, was they were worried for their child's safety, which is valid to a certain extent. They were worried about whether or not the world would persecute them. But something that came up very frequently is different the names of different movies, the names of different documentaries, the names of the first article that you could Google on Google. And a lot of them were a lot of them were of the negative aspect of where this is going to happen because you are trans and this isn't taking away from the struggles that people who are trans do face outside of the lgbt plus community and also from within it but it is valid to say that you can be trans and be happy and i'm glad that a story like this exists being that you are a trans man yourself how have you kind of manifested what you've learned and the things that you've overcome into your work, even outside of the food of love? That's a good question, because it's kind of asking me, like, so you're a fish in water. How are you being fish-like in this water? I feel like it's just kind of been an inherent part of me. Mm -hmm. And 
going back to like the importance of stories, a lot of those negative stories are the reason why people are so afraid of people being persecuted for being trans. And I want to tell the story about a person who happens to be trans and can be happy. I know it's something that I've, I've mentioned before, but that's just that's the thing I love the most about art. Going back to the first question, mm-hmm. because I can't think of anything that motivates me more than that. Um, the whole reason people have a mindset about a certain group of people, whether they're trans or whether they're from a certain background or sexuality, mm-hmm. it is the stories that they've heard. It's not textbooks. It's not peer-reviewed research. It's, oh, I saw on Netflix this show. Oh, this is what was on social media, this video that was viral. And I needed to just put my actual life experience into that, being the anxiety about, okay, I'm going to have to be myself and not be understood or maybe I can just go somewhere else and kind of start new and that's something that I know that Alex the character Mm -hmm. and I we have a very similar backstory in that regard the majority of my like physical and social transition was actually in a state that was very far away from the people that I grew up with the family that I know all the people that was familiar that they're all familiar to me Mm mm-hmm and it kind of allowed me to form an identity for myself. It's like, oh, okay, I'm just being seen as just a guy. And that was something that I think really gets not exactly undertold, but not quite accurately represented. It's not so much of a, oh, I'm changing who I am, or I'm not adding a new identity. It's more of, I'm removing things that aren't me. So you can just see the essence of me. And I think that's kind of like the idea that people might have what transitioning is. Mm-hmm. It's more of like removing what you're not to just be who you are. And I've kind of wanted that to be at the core of any kind of trans representation that I have in my stories or my artwork or my anything, just accuracy. And there's like, it's there's just so many different parts to it. I love the way you phrased that because I don't think I've ever heard anyone phrase it quite like that. Um, it's always been, oh, they're trying to be who they really are or something along the lines that is supportive, but almost detracts from what it actually is. It's, they're trying, but they're not at the same time to really kind of dive into the core of what being trans is. And I can only speak from that externally, but that's the reality of what's happening. And I think that's why it's so important that you do, that your stories have that in there and they're able to kind of give that added thought to what it means to be trans, what it means to be a human being. I'm curious because you mentioned, you've mentioned telling stories and being a storyteller multiple times during the course of our interview. What is one of your favorite stories that you can think of that kind of motivated or inspired you as a child this is what comes to mind it's not really i don't think it's directly related to representation Mm -hmm. but my favorite movie my favorite not just animated movie but my favorite story of all time is the prince of egypt that's a great as a kid i remember as a kid (laughs) going to theaters and i'm watching this beautiful film it's pure art. Everything from what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing. Someone made it, and it's beautiful. And it was breathtaking. And it just took me on this just epic emotional journey that I didn't experience with any other movie that I come across. Rarely ever since that. 
And I remember thinking, that is, like, the highest achievement of art as an animated film that is a wonderful story and is aesthetically pleasing in every aspect. And I've always held on to that high standard, and I've always known if I am going to tell stories about queer people, about people of color, about people who are on the autism spectrum, it has to be good. It has to be really good. It has to appeal to any kind of audience and have these good aesthetics because that's the only way that it's going to be absorbed, mm-hmm. only way someone would give it a chance, and it's really the only way that it's going to be remembered. It's incredibly hard to tell stories in any capacity. It becomes a little bit easier over time as you practice mm-hmm. it. Were you always comfortable telling stories, or was it something that you gradually had to become comfortable doing? I feel like... Ever since I was a kid, I was writing fictional stories. Mm-hmm. And then share them with anyone because they sucked. But that's like any beginner writer. I've always really kept it to myself. And it wasn't really until um, until like later high school where I took like a creative writing class. And I got outside confirmation from people who are a little bit invested in me. That, oh yeah, this is actually really entertaining. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had a bit of an advantage over my peers because I did a lot of research. I read a lot of books on writing. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of the practice and exercise on it. It was only until much later in my life where I was, I think, I think it was the coming out monologues mm-hmm. where I was writing my own story and these are total strangers. Yes, they're still supporting me, in this, but I was hearing not from just the cast and crew, but from absolute total strangers who'd come up to me and like, wow, that was a great story. That was amazing. I love that. You did such a great job. I really felt that. And I'm like, okay, so... Not everyone is lying to me right now. No, you were phenomenal. None of us were lying to you. For context, everyone, (laughs) the Coming Out Monologues is an awesome show that that the Coming Out Monologues puts on. And basically it spotlights individuals all over the LGBT plus spectrum. And it gives them the platform to tell their coming out story in a very creative way that's dynamic and works for them. And that's how we met. (laughs) And then everything yes. changed forever. But no, like, it was a oh, great experience. <laughs> it was a great experience. It's, it was definitely a big confidence booster. I just, oh, I'm so grateful for that. And I go back to that moment of when we attended. I believe it was like a story building class where we had to step mm-hmm. outside of our comfort zone and we had to get better oh, at boy, telling yeah. stories. Yeah. That was, that was a journey. I that day changed my life. I'm glad that you found your voice, and I, honestly, it's it's phenomenal what you said. And your coming out story is just amazing. You have so much power and presence in general, and that's felt. And I think you do it in a way that just has style, but also grace to it. And it's such a nice duality. How do you want to evolve as a storyteller? That's such a good question. It's almost like you thought of these beforehand. I didn't. These are these are literally <laughs> oh. all off the cuff. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. It's like you're a natural writer. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit of a writer. <laughs> How would I want to evolve? I guess the, the simplest answer is I just want to be better at it. I want to be faster at it. I want to explore more mediums. I want to have short films. And one of the goals I've had for quite a few years now is I want to make the first feature-length animated film with a trans man protagonist. And nowhere in any place that I've seen or looked does that exist. And I want to be able to make that because that's something I wish I had 
for many years, for all my childhood, well into my adulthood. Never seen that before, but it would be nice if someone would dedicate all that time and all the energy to someone who's also kind of like me. And maybe somebody will be inspired to, or maybe somebody's doing it right now. I would. Maybe I, hope I, so. I am manifesting that into the ethos. Let's manifest. Let's it. do it. Someone else do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but do it well. Consult me if you need. To. <laughs> it's beautiful to see how you've used everything that you've learned to create visceral stories. What is something outside of creating and storytelling that you would like to do and you haven't done yet? Outside of storytelling and creating, I think for me personally, just as a hobby, I would like to take dance lessons and singing lessons and maybe even musical instruments, something like that, because I am not familiar at all with that. And I feel like the more art forms that I kind of explore, the more it informs the other ones that I already have some skills honed in and it would just be fun it'd be good exercise any kind of vocal exercise i get with singing it would help me with voice acting anything that helps me be a better actor move better physically it'll help me get into character for animation that was the whole reason i got into acting because one of my favorite visual artists said hey if you want to be a good animator you need to study acting or else you're just not going to be convincing as an animator like Okay, let's do that. Ooh, that's yeah. cool. If your ideal job, so you mentioned animator, would your ideal job be animating? And if so, what kind of projects would you like to animate? Definitely love animation. I also love live action films. Mm-hmm. Whenever I've asked myself, like, okay, let's say I have everything paid for, I bought all the cool stuff, I have everything, what would I do with my time? And it's always come back to, well, I want to make movies. Because that's something that's going to live forever, something that would be fun, that would be entertaining, it would be a fun challenge, I'd get to meet people, give people jobs, and tell the stories in a very, very accessible way. Some people love reading books, other people don't have time for that, but they might have an hour and a half or something that they can relax to, and it's so much easier to just watch a movie and go on that experience than a lot of these other art forms. Maybe some people don't want a comic book, but a movie... I think pretty much almost everyone would watch that. Yeah, the literary audience is still very important. There's always going to be people who read. I don't think books are in any danger. I don't think print books are in any danger of going away. I don't think so either. People underestimate how nice an actual paperback or a hardback feels <laughs> to hold in your hand. Yeah. And having an ebook, a digital book published, that's like a, oh, okay, that's cool. You made some graphics on a computer anyone can do that to get it printed that is the easiest way to make yourself legitimate that's true and that's not ever going to go away because writers work hard editors work very hard on their work and they need to be seen and accessible and recognized plus not everyone wants to stare at a screen it's true it gets to your eyes after a while and Mm -hmm. on that note though i do have a question because with everything to do with the pandemic and just how we kind of consume media as a result of having to make some accommodations, um, the food of love is going to be audio based. So it's going to be done through pretty much whatever you can do over voice inflection and narration and dialogue and things of that sort. So what was that process like going from actually performing where people could come and watch your performances to 
shifting to audio only? It wasn't as difficult as I thought. And it was actually one of the best things I think that could have happened to a theatrical production. Mm -hmm. I feel like with the audio version of this, we definitely avoided one of the current trends that's going on. A lot of people are going with Zoom meetings to record a lot of these uh, theatrical plays that would have been in person. And I personally don't tell anyone, but I hate that. I go to work and I see a Zoom meeting. I don't want to enjoy my relaxation time in a Zoom meeting, even though everyone in it is absolutely wonderful and engaging. It's just something about it, it didn't quite click for me. And I feel like there's other people that probably feel the same. But if we limit ourselves to just the audio and we get the right training, which we had an amazing voice acting coach for this, just absolutely life-changing. Mm-hmm. If we have the voice acting, the sound effects, a narrator who is absolutely captivating as well. I feel like we can take advantage of the theater of the mind and get more of a visceral and just all-encompassing experience. I, I like that a lot because I just the way people experience auditory things without any context other than what that piece of audio is telling them it kind of allows their imagination to run away with them and to interpret it the way the way it looks in their mind and there's something kind of beautiful about that it can be whatever you want it to be within the core story that's being told i met a man once and he was a he was a vocal coach but he also was a poetry counselor if you will and one of the first things he asked us to do was he asked us to close our eyes as we read our poetry and to close our eyes when we were being read poetry because the experience and the journey is different when you have something that you're visually looking at not to take away from the beauty of looking at something visually coupled with audio but it allows you to access parts of your mind that you wouldn't normally access if you're watching it with a visual aspect as well. And I think that's really cool. It's To me, it's how I feel when I'm kind of listening to a really good audiobook or a really good podcast that's narration-based and they tell a story in it. I'm taken away into an alternate world. So I think it's really cool that you all were able to kind of keep with that. Because you're right, we go to work and we're on Zoom meetings. We maybe do other things and we're on Zoom meetings because it's the most accessible thing at the moment. If somebody doesn't have the same phone as you or maybe doesn't have Facebook, so you can't use those features. So you're absolutely right. How has Phase 8 as, as a company that puts on different shows and performances how are they going to utilize the things that they learned in the pandemic for future shows? Possibilities that we are going to be bringing back the audio version of Puda Love multiple times. Mm-hmm. The cost of actually putting on the show and putting on this event would be very minimal. Mm-hmm. And who's to know, we might even do this version again with a different story. Really, the world is so chaotic and predictable right now. Very Ooh, true. Who the hell knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's very true. But I definitely do think that there will be a reprise of the audio version of The Food of Love because it's not just a different medium. It is a bit of a different story. It is a lot of a different story. The characters themselves, they might be the same characters, but they're brought to life in a totally different way because it's a different cast than it was last year. I definitely think that theater in general is going to become a little more accessible through things like 
the audio dramas and the radio theater style. I think in-person shows are definitely never going to go away, just like print books are never going to go away. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we're going to take advantage of the accessibility. I know that there's some people in my life who have never seen me perform at all because they're not in the same state that I do a lot of work in. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time they're kind of seeing, quote, or hearing me perform. And that means a lot to me because I finally get to share something that I'm so passionate with, with people I love. You not only co-wrote this, but you're also acting in The Food of Love. What has this role as an actor and also as a co-writer taught you about yourself throughout the process? I definitely feel like I've got to know myself better through this process. I know that when I have to get things done, I will get things done. And when you really care about something, staying up to 4 a.m. to get a scene written down is difficult, but you get it done. And I definitely know that I'm capable of doing that. I have a little bit more confidence in myself in two different areas of my life, the writing and the acting. And it's proven to me that I just, I could never settle for one type of storytelling. It all means so much to me. I think, I think the world is lucky to have people like yourself who are able to branch out into different stories. And whether it's The Food of Love, which everybody should check out and watch because it's going to, or listen to, I should say, it's going to be amazing. And everything that you put your hands on is amazing. If people want to learn more about Phase 8, The Food of Love, or even about the work that you do outside of Phase 8, where can they find more information about yourself and also the theater at the same time? For Food of Love, definitely go to our website, phase8.org, and that's going to be the 8 spelled out, E-I-G-H-T. I was really hesitating on that for a moment. It's okay. Phase8.org. <laughs> And you'll see it. It'll be the first thing on the website, Food of Love. Check out the press release for all the details on it. There's ticket options. I don't know if I really emphasize this, but there's also food. You get to eat the same food that the characters are eating in the story. And it's phenomenal. I feel you had me at food. I mean, you had me at you, too, because I love you (laughs) and you do great work. But there's free food, Mm y'all. Well, it's it's not free. You pay for it. Okay, you, you pay for watch. it. <laughs> yes. When, when you buy your ticket and when you buy the, the food ticket, the food is free. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in the Jackson area, you have the option of delivery or pickup. It would just be kind of like those um, those take-home pizzas. You kind of warm it up. You arrange it. It's going to be pre-cooked for you. Very minimal effort. It's going to be super easy to prepare and enjoy with the show. If you're outside, if you're outside, this is very important. You will... <laughs> You'll also get the recipes and instructional videos on how to make the food. And you're going to have that well before the actual show date. That's really so you cool. you have time to prepare. Yeah, the food's so good. Um, the show's going to be premiering on February 13th. And when you do pay to stream, it's kind of like renting a movie from a streaming service. You'll have 24 hours to watch it. You don't have to be rushed or anything like that. You just get to stream it from the comfort of your own home. And you can watch it with yourself, with a friend, with a loved one, family, whoever you think would just enjoy a good story with lots of laughter and a really sweet romance. And I will link the information in the bio below when this episode releases. So for everyone who does not want to type on their phones, I will have it there readily available for you as well. Thank you. Oh, making it easier. Yeah, I try. I try. Mm -hmm. I also know that I am one of those people sometimes, so... (laughs) 
Just think. Just I'm like, think. I don't want to search this. If it's there, <laughs> okay, it's not there. It lost me forever. <laughs> but no, seriously, Andres, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing what the food of love is sharing a little bit of a glimpse into your life and your passions and what makes you love storytelling as much as you storytelling i swear i lived in georgia for three years and now randomly i get a country (laughs) accent it is so random and weird but no it's okay we'll fix it in post (laughs) (laughs) storytelling you were saying (laughs) yes you are a brilliant storyteller um thank you you're welcome my my official website, I'm going to plug it, that is adbravoart.com. It's A is in Alpha, D is in Dante, my last name, Bravo, A-R-T.com. That's the homepage. That's the hub where you'll get all the other links to social media. And I'm sure there will also be a link for that. So there will. don't bother having to remember that or anything. <laughs> Just search for it. There will <laughs> be a link box. for it. <laughs> but seriously, there's lots of goodies on his website. You all should go there and check it out. He's got some really cool things in the works, but you know, thank you so much again for coming on the show, and I will be I will be gladly listening and watching the Food of Love when it hits on February thirteenth, and awesome. I hope that the rest of you will also join me in watching it. Everybody, until next time. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible. The Raindrop Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and almost all standard platforms that you typically find a podcast on. Until next time. 